Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. What are some of the top themes at this year's Black Hat Europe? To find out, I'm joined by Black Hat's creator and founder, Jeff Moss. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So one of the interesting themes I've seen coming out of this year's Black Hat has been the adversarial mindset. Amanda Rousseau, in her opening keynote, talked about the need for professionals even if they're defenders, or especially if they're defenders, to know the tools and tactics being used by attackers. Something you brought up too in your introduction to Amanda's talk. And I'd love to start with the adversarial mindset. This isn't a new concept. Mm -hmm. I mean, arguably Black Hat was founded on this concept. Right, so it's, it's definitely not new, but I think what's happening is it's getting more currency, people are paying more attention to it, and it's spawning, it used to maybe be just in the maybe network attack and defense, and it was application security or protecting yourself, your servers. But now it seems that it's, uh, it's in policy. And I think the, the moment that really um, brought it to light, uh, at least for me, was Wasna arrangement debates from a couple of years ago, when the whole idea was how do you limit intrusion software? And then it created a big public debate about, well, wait a minute, these are tools that defenders need to know to use to test. And then, well, why did defenders need to act like attackers? And so it elevated sort of the debate. So what were some of the tools with the Wassner discussions? Just refresh my memory on that. Yeah. Well, so originally it was, it was two groups. It was at NSO, and they were selling basically exploitation frameworks, but for monitoring phones. And privacy groups in Europe lobbied to have that uh, type of software classified as a munition. But the definition was broad enough that it captured all kinds of things like a Metasploit testing tools, or it even got to the point where maybe two people from different countries couldn't share virus signatures. So I was like, that clearly wasn't the intent and led to this debate of why would you be sharing virus signatures or why would you have the virus under the botnet in the first place. But this, this idea of the adversarial mindset, it stems from people who started an attack and moved to defense were stunned to find how crazy the defense people were. They were really smart, they just weren't doing things that really mattered. So, so how crazy in, in the sense of everything like was a problem? Disconnected from reality. In the so from the attacker's perspective, the defenders are building crazy castles that have nothing to do, not, not nothing, but very little connected to reality. So the attackers would be like, well, why are you doing that? You, you've built this crazy memory protection system, but all I do is edit this registry entry and I'm in. Why don't you protect that? And through those conversations, the defenders are like, oh, well, the bad guys never tell us how they're getting in. The governments that know never tell us how they're getting in. The manufacturers who know where all the vulnerabilities are, they're not really telling us what it is. So we're kind of left on our own to fend for ourselves and use our own creative energies and flip some options on some security panels, but we don't actually really know how it is really going to change things. And then you started getting forensics companies like Amandian, you know, large scale. They started writing reports and others, but started writing reports like, this is how bad guys are really behaving. And so if you didn't have a sophisticated security team, you could at least start to learn what the bad guys are doing. And so I think we're in this great alignment where we're finally starting to focus our energies on the things that actually make things more secure, not the things that the defenders believe you know, are making things more secure. And what's been contributing to that? Certainly, I see a lot more discussion of incident response. You have, like you said, these big firms like Amandiant going in, looking at how someone was hacked, and then sharing those details with everybody. Right. Here in the UK, you've got the National Cybersecurity Center 
trying to do that as well with some of their incident response and supporting organizations that get hit. Right. You've got the NSA putting out alerts at an increasing frequency, I think, about big attacks that they've found. There seems to be much more of a public discussion about this than there used to yeah, be. Yeah, so I think the other part that's driving it maybe is um, public policy in the sense that I'm going to prepare for Jeff Moss rant. When countries were working through the mutually assured destruction a nuclear weapon pl proliferation policy. That took decades. And the people who are driving that conversation, a lot of them are academics, policy experts, some of the scientists that created the nuclear weapons, so on and so forth. And all that public debate over a long period of time informed the public's opinion and it helped policymakers come up with policy. We don't have that with cyber. So we haven't had this multi three decade, all the ways that attacks are done, a lot of them are classified. The way that governments operate is classified, um, the way they run ops, the exploits themselves. So a lot of the people that are in the public debating about how attacks are done and how, like say for example, WASNAR should be used, they're disconnected from reality. They can't get too close to reality because a lot of it's classified. So how are policymakers expected to make informed policies? It's not being done in the open. And so this move toward this attacker mindset um, or talking about how attacks are actually done, how are operations actually performed. So when Citizen Lab in Canada writes a fantastic report explaining all the steps of how an NSO group tool is misused by a foreign country to spy on a you know, dissident, that's fantastic because it allows policymakers to get a better understanding of how it actually works. And I think that's really, really healthy because I've run into policymakers who have a completely distorted view of reality. But you ask them, well, where did you get that opinion? How, how, why do you think that way? And when they explain it, oh, it makes total sense. You're talking to the vendor, you're talking to a trade group, you're talking to a company that makes defensive tools, but you're not actually getting the info from the people who are doing, performing the attacks. And so when Amanda gave her talk, it was fantastic because she was, had been on the defensive side, now she's on the offensive side. So. She understands now, uh, bringing that to the offensive side, she can write better tools, less likely to be detected, more challenging for Facebook. And then it works the other way around really well. I have friends who have done fantastic exploitation reverse engineering work. They get hired by one of these mega companies and they start talking to all the engineers. And the engineers want to show off all their protections. And they look at the protections and they're like, can you document what two exploits this would have, you know, go back in time now, pretend you had this exploit uh, protection, go back in time and tell me the two or three bugs this would have protected against. And it turns out a lot of these protections are written against one use case, not a whole general class of bugs. And so a lot of the software engineers are, are basically incentivized to fix the one bug and then fix the next bug. And the code starts getting bigger and bigger and pretty soon has like 20 cases to deal with 20 bugs instead of addressing the root cause and making the overall product maybe more resilient. And so he spends a lot of time with software security teams explaining you should make the code smaller, you should simplify it, you should not try to solve each edge case, you should find the general cause. But unless somebody came to them with all that attack experience, they would continue down this road because the bug I found I found how it worked, I patched it, now the bug doesn't work, now I move on to the next thing. We're not taking the time to understand what is really going on, I think is a, a more generalizable 
lesson. And I think that's finally caught on with enough people, or there's enough experience now. We've been had enough people in red that have gone to the blue team, and we have enough people uh, in policy positions that have had experience. They've grown up with computers now. They've grown up with new stories of exploits that that they can finally learn from this public discourse. It's not too sophisticated for them anymore. They can totally participate. And so I think it's because we have all these different actors. And you have, say, in Europe, GDPR, and you have people willing to regulate now. So I think it becomes more and more important that, well, if you're starting to talk about regulation, you better have an accurate view of the you know, ground truth. Rent turned off. Jeff, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your insights with us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Jeff Moss, founder and creator of Black Hat. I'm Matthew Schwartz with ISMG. Thanks for joining us.